Due to COVID-19 restrictions, we're recording this remotely. However, as Mitch and I live in a different county to Meg, we will likely continue recording remotely post-COVID. Hello, and you're listening to Watched It, Missed It, Skipped It, the podcast where we discuss, dissect and react to our favourite TV shows one episode at a time on one condition. One of us has never seen it before. I'm Ellen. I'm Meg. And I'm Mitch. And today we'll be discussing Desperate Housewives Series 1, Episode 4, Who's That Woman? Just before we go any further, I feel like we probably should address that uh, we are doing things slightly differently this week. We're still sort of trying to figure out any kinks in the podcast and trying to work out what flows best for us. So if things feel a little bit different to how they felt the last couple of weeks, that would be why. But... We may keep this format, we may change it again, we may go back to how we were. Who knows? Feel free to let us know, though. Okay, so we start with uh, Mary Alice narrating over, you know, how people saw themselves. And it focuses on Lynette and, you know, how she used to be a career woman. And then it goes on to the whole Lynette focusing all on that. What what did we think of, of that scene? I was very pleased they remembered that Lynette has a baby. <laughs> I didn't even notice. <laughs> I'd completely forgotten. Yeah, I thought that was, you know, very good of them to acknowledge the fact that she doesn't just have the boys, she does have a baby as well. Mm. Okay, so following on from obviously what you're saying about Lynette being business lady and remembering that she has a baby. Um have to say it's one of the one of my favorite like opening five ten minutes of Mm. an episode just when the twins paint that poor girl (laughs) i i want to know what tiffany did to deserve it (laughs) because i feel like maybe the bitch had it coming to her i enjoyed that they painted a whole child blue but her clothes came out pretty unscathed (laughs) I like how she just didn't even notice. It happened too quick for her to even alert anyone or say anything. She was blue before she could blink. <laughs> yeah, you'd think that they'd get like the first swipe of blue on your arm and you'd be like, dude, no, miss, I'm telling. But I think she was in on it. I was going to say, maybe she it's her secret life goal to become a Smurf or something. I don't know. I support your dreams, Tiffany. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then we've got, obviously, the teacher suggesting to Lynette that the kids have ADHD. And Lynette does not take that well. She does no. not. So, fun fact, I do, in fact, have ADHD, which is, you know, really good at making me uh, pretty damn biased when watching scenes like this. But it's 2004, and I feel like when you don't know a lot about something in general, whether it's 2004 or not, if somebody says, hey, your kid's got this thing that most kids don't have, if you don't know anything about it, you are going to go, no, they don't. They're fine. Yeah, that I think that's exactly how parents, especially, you know, if, if it wasn't commonly known or, like, even if they just didn't have the right information, they, they would definitely react like that. I, I can totally see that. Yeah, and I feel like the only, like, genuine issue that I have with it, because I don't fault Lynette as a character for her reaction at all, I do wonder where on earth in, you know, the world... Lynette managed to get prescription ADHD medication without a diagnosis and without right? seemingly showing these children to any sort of medical professional. But okay. Yeah, it's like, at the start of the episode, she's like, my children do not have ADD. And then it's like, how did you get the prescription medication without the diagnosis? Who is your dealer? Where are you getting this from? <laughs> Who did you ask? <laughs> 
Like, did, did, did you just get a diagnosis in the last five minutes? Because, trust me, it's not that fucking easy. Well, yeah. And, like, I feel like that's my only, like, genuine criticism of the whole thing. And maybe also the fact that I do see it being the kind of thing for this episode that they then just never mention ever again. Um, but at the end of the day, the scene with the kids under the table where she's like, uh-uh, these are my kids and I like them how they are. That was cute. So yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to wave my little offended flag and be like, the show's problematic. Yeah, and I think you can also kind of understand where she may be coming from in the whole defensive side of things because, to use quotation marks here, no parent wants to be told there's something wrong with their child. Yeah. I suppose she's already having a bit of a rough time anyway with the whole parenting thing is that she's probably potentially maybe starting to feel like more and more of a failure as things come up yeah and i mean i did also like the scene who was it with was it gabby susan somebody um one of the gang yeah one one of the crew where they were like sat with the coffee and she was like i don't want to change the good bits just to fix the bad bits because like look look at my mug and was it brie it was Brie. Yeah. It was Brie. And Brie was like, babe, it's leaking. And she was like, yeah, I know. And I thought that kind of summed it up really nicely is that, yeah, it's leaking, but it's mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that she doesn't want to change that. And I think it was also maybe a little bit reassuring for her as well in that somebody else that she's a lot closer to than just a teacher mm. was kind of like, well, I don't think it would be the end of the world if you did have them see someone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, still the reassurance of, you know, they're great kids and whatever, but, you know, it's always worth checking. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting that Brie didn't go, oh, no, your kids are fine, don't worry, or there's nothing wrong with them, we don't we don't diagnose in, 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 this, in this lane. It was just mm. kind of a case of, well, they are challenging. They do mm. behave in a way that might make you go, is there something behind this, or are you just, you know... Yeah. Not to further the whole naughty child ADHD stereotype, but from her point of view, she could have easily gone, oh, no, they're just naughty kids. But she was yeah. just kind of like, well, maybe, yeah, if you want, kind yeah. of. Yeah. Whereas maybe before you could have maybe pinned Brie as the kind of character that would go, like, brush it under the carpet. There's nothing wrong with your children. You have perfect children. <laughs> Not on this street. Don't tell the neighbours. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The only other thing of note that I've really got about Lynette is just before she attempts to give the kids the ADHD meds and decides not to, you see that obviously she's got framed all of her work achievements. Oh. Like the snippets from the newspapers that were like, Lynette Scarvo achieves this. Um, And then one of them was like, where's Lynette Scarvo going to go from here? Blah, 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 blah. Mm. I noticed that. I thought that was quite a nice little thing to sort of drop into the scene. I hadn't. End scene. Okay, so you hadn't noticed it, but what kind of significance do you think that has how do you sort of feel from it i don't know how significant it is i just kind of get the whole vibe that she had a lot kind of going for her career wise mm-hmm. and it's kind of one of those things where people that well to be fair normally i'd be like look if you make that choice and you go i don't want to put my career first anymore my kids come first this is what i'm doing it isn't a waste but because Lynette didn't actually make that decision herself, I feel like maybe it is a waste. It's just kind of pointing out 
all this potential she had for a life that looks a, a bit different to what her everyday looks like at the minute. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it was maybe... I mean, first of all, it was just sort of interesting seeing her reflect back on all her like achievements. I feel like it, it's sort of there for a few reasons. Like It's tying together her arc with that particular episode, because that's how it opened with her looking at her achievements as well. But also, I think it's sort of showing that she's thinking, well... I did these things because of who I am as a person. So I think it was sort of helping her arrive at her decision with the medication. And my children may may not be able to do what they're meant to do if I just medicate them and keep them quiet. Sure. So I think I think it's sort of also there as like a another plot device to help her realize that she shouldn't medicate her children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will also point out that um, her like loose flannel shirt number adorable. I love Lynette's clothing choice i know Same. that maybe not yet and it's not really a spoiler i know that in future episodes the others kind of make fun of her for it a little bit but Boom. i like lynette's clothing i think she looks great i would wear that if i was lynette i mean i wear a lot of checkered shirts anyway and i think she looks great flannel lesbian that is me yes yeah. <laughs> gay rights we've got all of the women listening to that tape um obviously I don't know how much you sort of picked up on it from what Mary Alice was saying on the tape about her dream. Yeah, so she was standing in a river. Yep. She referenced somebody that she only referred to as the girl. Uh-huh. And we learned that her name is Angela. Which yeah. then threw me through my own asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so that she's called Angela and that she keeps dreaming of this woman shouting her name. And obviously as well that you've got Gabby confirming what we kind of alluded to last week as well when we were like, yeah, the women seem kind of creeped out by him. Mm. Mm-hmm. Gabby confirms that, um, saying that he's always creeped her out. Oh yeah, and that they're glad that he's moving. Yeah. yeah. So do you have any suspicions on Mary Alice slash Angela? Mary Angela. Um... <laughs> based on her dream well again going back to my kid in a box theory that could mm. be who the girl is but i don't think there is a kid in the bo- i don't know i don't know but did we find out that Anne does her real name from paul no, no. from no. mary alice's tape where from she... mary alice's tape she said yeah, it herself, w- but that's her real name yeah where dr okay. goldfine said who's angela like what does the name angela mean to you and she went well that's my real name right okay i'm with you but also when I think it was Gabby or Bree or someone was like, well, I've seen her driver's license. That doesn't, that's not her name. As if you can't legally change your name. Bless little Gabby Solis. <laughs> no. The reference to the girl could also be herself. Because, you know, it's a dream. It doesn't necessarily have to be logical. It's just kind of representative. Mm-hmm. But... I don't know, it does kind of make me think about the box again. I think that all kind of ties in together. But the whole having a different name thing is interesting. And, you know, like, Beyond the Grave narrator Mary Alice did not help. She didn't give us any kind of... No, she was a bit useless. Yeah, yeah. Really, she she just loves a good mystery as well and just wants us to, to suffer. Yeah, she just wants to be like, yeah, think about me. Teasing but, us. Yeah. And, like, with... Paul, I spent the vast majority of the episode thinking he sent the note. Ooh. But then in the last, like, couple of minutes, 
he hired that like PI. Is that what he is? The private investigator. Yeah. Yeah. To figure it out. But now I'm saying that maybe he wants that to cover his own tracks because well, why would I hire a private investigator if I sent it myself? But I spent the whole episode thinking that he sent the note. That's interesting. Hmm. I like that theory. Thank you. I, 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 did, I did it myself. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Susan staring at a shirtless Mike while Edie's in her booty shorts. I have written sexy Mike. And that's it. I've written sexy Edie. <laughs> <laughs> right, here's the thing. Susan said two episodes ago that she was perfectly fine with doing this whole thing platonically for now. Just being his friend. Maybe there's not room for like flirting or a relationship or like courting right now. But <laughs> I will be here for him as a friend. And then going forward has not done that at all. Nah, she's just lusting after him at every given opportunity. Yeah. Although he's doing a pretty piss poor job at this too. I was just thinking maybe because he, they had that close moment in the vets, he's sort of... Maybe we, without even realising, he sort of come around to, oh, I, I quite like this woman. She's uh, she's nice to look at. I've seen her naked. Nice. Well, that was the thing that I was thinking, was like, well, he got a complete eye full of hers. Is it bad that she's ogling him? Not really. This is what we call equality, my friends. Yeah, that's very true. And can I just say, God bless you, Jill Julie. Fucking genius is what she is. Also, though, it was interesting to see Edie and Martha's kind of dynamic. And that, interestingly enough, Edie thinks that Susan's throwing herself at Mike. Yeah, but I spent that whole scene going, for fuck's sake, Edie, just admit that you fancy Susan. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the plot twist we're here for. Just admit that you love her. <laughs> just going back a few moments, like when you see Edie out there wash washing her car and, you know, squeezing water all over herself... It might have just been me, and because that's the sort of thing that would make me uncomfortable, just seeing my neighbour doing that. Mike looked really uncomfortable at it. He was like, mm, I'm just I'm just doing garden work. I... Yeah. Do you think yeah. that also ties in, though, that Susan said that she washed her car yesterday? Yeah. So Mike's probably like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And I think it's pretty clear that Mike likes Susan. I think that's clear to everybody but Edie. Yeah. Which yeah. makes me sad because maybe if somebody like made it, you know, pretty clear instead of like I'm not I'm not trying to side with Edie here, but if you are genuinely thinking that you have a chance with this guy and all these opportunities keep arising for you to be either alone with him or involved with Susan and him, or maybe maybe that's the path we're going down. Maybe we're gonna have a little thruple. But you could argue that she's being led on a bit. Because nobody's actually turning around and going no, Edie. <laughs> yeah, he clearly doesn't like you. Yeah. yeah. Especially kind of later in the episode when I was sat there, like, clenching my fists like, Susan, stop it. When she ended up giving the ticket to Edie. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just like, how many more episodes of this shit can I put up with? <laughs> I actually think I wrote down, for the love of God, Susan, what are you fucking doing? Yeah. Poor Mike. Yeah. Yeah, and like, she's just making it worse for herself. And I'm just getting to the point where I'm like, how many more episodes is this going to go on for? Is it going to be one of those things where they finally get together and then he dies? Like, I'm getting to that point where I'm like, is this going to drag the fuck on? It's not a Ross-Rachel kind of situation, if that's what you're asking. It's also kind of, I'm going to say cute. That isn't the word I mean, and you'll understand why. 
But it's kind of cute that when Edie's saying to Martha that she thinks Susan's throwing herself at Mike, blah, 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 you know, and whatever, that Martha is kind of like scheming. Like she's like, I can help you here. Yeah. And that's kind of cute to show that they do actually kind of care about each other. But also Martha, sit down, please. Yeah. Take a seat. (laughs) Yeah, she spent this whole episode like scheming, manipulating, lying, being awful. And like, like, like you said, it's kind of, it's not cute, but it's also really like interesting and a little bit cute to kind of see her loyalty to Edie. Mm. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. There's kind of like another layer to her. Like she's not just manipulative and schemy that she does, I suppose, genuinely care about the people closest to her, but everybody else, I suppose, is just fair game. Yeah. Well, yeah, like, Susan's just kind of something that she has to deal with, like, to... I feel like if Martha had bigger balls, she'd, like, sniped her out already and just being like, competition, no. Yeah. I mean, I am going to jump forward just a second. Let's go. Because I cannot hold this in any longer. Right. Firstly, Martha, stop talking about mincemeat. Secondly, the (laughs) way Martha Huber says mincemeat really bothers me. Yeah. (laughs) Mincemeat. Also, it... It's just a mince pie. You don't have to call it a mincemeat pie, you fucking weirdo. Yeah, Americans right? call it that, though. Like, I get, like, what she was alluding to. Mm. And, like, the whole scene, like, if you, like, when you read into it, is kind of sinister. Yeah. In a way. But also, Mother, love, stop talking about mincemeat. Like, I don't care. Also, stop saying mincemeat, because the way you say it hurts me. Yeah. She just casually slipped into conversation. Oh, yeah, you burnt Edie's house down, and I nearly, like, dropped my pita bread. I feel like the way she delivers that line, it, it it's borderline psychotic. Like, her tone doesn't change at all. It's still like she's just having a pleasant conversation with her neighbour. Martha Huber puts me on edge. Yeah. Yeah, I've got, like, several different notes written at, like, various different points throughout the episode, you know, of, like, Martha's absolutely batshit, Martha's off her rocker, Martha is evil. <laughs> and it needs saying, you know, more than once, because, uh, good God, but also, is she just bored? I mean, maybe. I mean, we we do find out later on kind of why she's like it anyway. Well, I'm wondering where her family is. Like, why does she live alone, apart from with Edie now? Like, no husband, no kids, no wife, no... Because she's a horrible person, though. That's true, because she is a Mrs. Huber. Hmm. So there was a Mr. Huber. Or indeed, another Mrs. Huber. Yes, or just an appliance Huber. (laughs) <laughs> who knows but also whenever you say Mrs. Hoover I always think Mr. Humberfloob <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Humberfloob but actually I know we're still skipping ahead but new format who cares Um, what one of you was just saying about how her tone doesn't change right it's definitely picked up in the phone call she makes to Susan where she's like I need a new water heater and it's $600 and I can't afford that. And what am I going to do? But like the tone is just the same the whole way through, especially when she's like, I'm just beside myself. And I'm like, Martha, babe, you just sounded like you just sort of, you know, like, you know, knocked your bin over or something. (laughs) You you don't sound like, you know, you're not going to have any fucking water for a while. I did have one other note about that water heater scene. And maybe it's just because of what I do for a living. But I'm just like, Damn, water heaters are cheap in 2004. Because ordinarily, like, you you need a new, like, water heater, a new immersion tank, a new boiler, anything. That's well over a grand. Like, $600 for that 
Honestly, 2004. Different time, man. Fucking wild. Am I all supposed to believe that this woman who lives in, like, arse crack suburbia cannot afford a new heater? I know that she's, like, lying and manipulating, but, like, man, was I really supposed to believe you? Okay. I mean, to be fair, if you can get a free water heater, you're going to get a free water heater. Also, sure. out of interest, where is ass crack suburbia and are they <laughs> taking new residents? Um, I believe it is called uh, Wisteria Lane, and I believe so, although a, a house actually just went up for sale. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Any uh, interesting events happen in that house that I need to know about? No, not one. Okay, brilliant. As long as nobody died there. No. <laughs> <laughs> Also, can we just say, I mean, I know we've still skipped forward and whatever, but um, if you're me and blackmail, why are you waking your 15-year-old daughter up in the middle of the night to fix it for you? <laughs> because that's just how it be with them. Yeah. That scene was cute, though, because it was really like the whole like, role reversal thing that you guys have been saying about before. Mm. And I just liked Julie being wise with her hot chocolate and her marshmallows. Why do I even let you out of the house? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, Julie's vulnerable side of worrying that susan will get in trouble and that it'll cause carl to open up custody again and quite clearly being like i don't want to live with him mm. yeah and i but i feel like julie's old enough to be able to like get a say in that like obviously when you're like five you can't just go to live with mummy or daddy but when she's what 15 yeah yeah i feel like her say definitely says something like her what she would like yeah oh you think so but who knows i'm not a lawyer I just realised we missed a Martha bit when she's in the supermarket and she's oh, just yeah. like, Susan, you're going to buy my shopping. <laughs> oh, I could not forget that shirt. <laughs> it is a shirt. But also just, you know, also poor Susan in that Mike stood there clearly asking her out and Martha's like, hmm, bitch, what you want to do? But also, I'm just kind of like, Susan, please, this jug proves absolutely nothing to anybody but Martha. Like, you're never yeah. going to get very far, like, police-wise, like, law-wise with this burnt jug that they can't prove actually belonged to you based on the fact that it's burnt to a hecking crisp. Just turn around and go, Mike, I'd love to. See you then. Yeah, I mean, actually, also, what you've just said about the jug, that the only person's fingerprints that are going to be salvageable on that jug at present are Martha's. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And it's like, yeah, it, it proves Martha's theory because she's a nosy little toe rag, but... Like, if you took that to a copper, you'd be like, fuck off, love. Like, get a life. Yeah, it'd be like, and? You you live in the suburbs, you'll borrow each other's stuff all the time. Yeah. Literally. So, Susan's being a bit of a pleb. Although, at the end of the episode, when she kind of put Martha in her place a bit, I was like, Susan, I love you so very much. That was beautiful. Quietly, but decidedly hating your guts. Yes. Stunning. And then just the, good night, Mrs. Huber. <laughs> Stunning. Love Excellent her. Excellent scene. Love She's her. Great. Should we go on to Gabby? Yes, please. First of all, some absolute looks in this episode. Secondly, she's absolutely hilarious in this one. She, she is. is. Can we also just say that it is entirely John's fault that the cable guy knocked himself out? Yeah. Um, I also want to point out that when the cable guy knocked himself out, my only note was, oh, lord, he's slipping. <laughs> <laughs> entirely john's fault yeah if john hadn't been an absolute idiot and flung himself out of the bar mm -hmm. or at least mm -hmm. tidied up after himself the cable guy wouldn't have slipped can i also just say though why 
that whole bath seems like a trip hazard anyway, or a slip hazard. It feels dangerous. Why not just put like a towel or a bath mat down or something? Like, that just really? feels like an accident waiting to happen. And the cable guy just fucking proved it. But also the cable guy's being a bit an idiot because he was just like pulling wires out of the wall. And I'm just like, dude. In a bathroom. In a bathroom. And obviously he left the sock behind. Yeah. And Gabby's quick thinking with the sock is a stroke of genius. So yeah, genius. I feel I feel like people might be like quick to say that Gabby's kind of like maybe a bit like ditzy. Yeah. But the thing is, mm. she's a really fucking quick thinker. Like She is. Yeah. That was brilliant. And also when the, what was the cleaning lady called? Yowlin. Great name. When she said, um, "Oh, I don't, I don't like lying," and Gabby was like, "Well, I don't like your writing, so what can you do?" <laughs> She's got such a quick wit; it's she, absolutely brilliant. It's so yeah, I quick. love it, and it, it is amazing. And like, yeah, I wouldn't think to just suddenly take a load of socks downstairs. No, um, she's she's brilliant. But also, again, it says a lot about Carlos as a person when he's like, "Is that a Japanese thing?" And Yaolin's like, "I'm Chinese." The racism. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't even, you haven't even bothered to learn, like, where she's from. Yeah, where she's from. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, the, you know, and rightly so, Carlos is suspicious. Yeah. But, sir, you've got the wrong man. <laughs> the whole time, like, he was piecing things together, it was clearly well acted as well, but also maybe a little bit predictable. Because you knew exactly what conclusion he was going to come to. He was like, the cable yeah. guy's here late. He's going to find that sock. He's going to think she's shagging the cable guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I mean, I know that we've just said that Gabby is quick-witted and hilarious, but can we also talk about the sheer idiocy of wanting her gardener to wear open-toe sandals? Yeah. I mean, I, I get why. Mm. <laughs> but also the sheer idiocy of thinking that that's the only bit of clothing that he could leave behind. But can I also just say, I swear in the last episode she said we cannot do anything beyond garden in my house anymore i will come to you and in the next episode they're in the bath oh yeah yeah she did say that yeah but also speaking of the bath we have bath parallels do oh we do we do we begin uh gabby's arc of the episode with her in the bath with jean hmm. who also says we're all in the bath when i was a kid yeah and i was like so now Anyway, <laughs> and then we end gabby's arc with her in the bath with master looking fella Carlos. Thank you. And it just, it was a bit of a different vibe, I thought. I don't know if that was kind of intentional. Yeah. But it seems sort of softer with John. Yeah, I think it was definitely supposed to be very sort of tense and like on edge. Like the way he was holding her hair, that was a bit weird. Yeah. Yeah. Very intimidating. And the whole, have you got something you want to tell? Ask me. Yeah. Yeah, because I might drown you if you mention it. But even... But just just while we're still on that scene, even though it's very like a very intense and very like like, like he's being very intimidating, mm. Gabby's like comedic delivery, well, Eva Longoria's acting in it is still quite funny. Like her facial expression, she's like nope, and then just sort of like has yeah. like wide eyes and like look looking around like nope, yeah. and she knows he Nothing. knows. Yeah. Now. Oh yeah, and it's like one of those uh, like tonal things that I do really like about this show so far is that. Like, I remember us saying about the pilot that you have this, like, really pretty aesthetic with really dark themes. Mm. Again, it's quite a tense scene that then kind of gets, like, snapped out of when she's like, nope! And I, yeah. I don't know, I kind of like it. I kind of like being kept on my toes. I don't I don't know Yeah. what kind of show this is yet, and I'm four episodes in. Yeah, I mean, we're going back a little bit, obviously, when we've got Carlos interrogating John, 
about when the cable guy arrived and when he left and whatever. Mm. And when he's like, did my wife ask you to lie? And John's like, I don't want to get in the middle of anything. All I've written is, um, John. Yeah. You are. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's probably... I feel that's probably a panicked response from him. Like, well, if I'm an innocent party, then yeah, I wouldn't want to get in the middle of Mm. them. Also quite a... I don't want to say childlike, mm. adolescent like way of thinking of I've made myself look not guilty here. Yeah. But I have completely dropped the other person in it. Yeah. And he doesn't realise he's done it. Yeah. Very sort of age appropriate response. Mm. Yeah. And then obviously Carlos going to beat up the cable guy and finding out he's gay. Yeah. Um all I've then written underneath is why the stereotyping? Yeah. <laughs> I think not to defend it, again, to, to remind those who may have forgotten or don't know or indeed don't care or maybe Mitch cut it out or the other one. I'm gay. So I get to say everything and what I say is law. But <laughs> I feel like for 2004 especially, it had to be something where he could piece it together quickly. Yeah. So, yay, musical, that's a racial slur for a name. Yay, this. Yay, was it an arsehole? Was it a chest? I can't remember it or something. I think it was a chest in like a leather waistcoat. Mm. That was it. We all know leather gays. But yeah, again, maybe he could have just seen the the wedding like couple picture instead. But I don't know. I feel like that had to be like the cherry on top. Yeah. yeah. A personal highlight for yeah. me in that scene is all of the men's magazines. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like that scene and this whole thing Thing in general just hasn't aged well yeah no. also that i think the show being created by a gay man oh okay makes it a little bit better but mm. also like you kind of expect more yeah i feel like a lot of with that scene is uncomfortable and stereotypy as it is it still fits with the theme of the show it's very sort of over the top in a lot of ways and dare i say campy yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, is that it just uh, it doesn't. I mean, I get that that was you know a really great way for uh, Carlos to learn that he definitely wasn't shagging his wife because anything else you could be lying about, like if he had a wife or whatever, that doesn't really mean anything. But mm. I don't know. Just the fact that when Carlos was like, "Do you gay?" and he was like, "Yes, is this why this is happening?" Like it was just a bit too real. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'm just kind of like, oh, yeah, we 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 all live in fear. Especially that Carlos just went with it and was like, yes, yeah. yeah. I mean that that bit, it's fine. It, well, not fine, but like that bit, I kind of get because in his mind he has to be like, he he'd look in his 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 own mind, from Carlos's point of view, he would then look stupid to go, no, I thought you were shagging my wife. I'm very sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm very sorry I punched you in the face and then kicked you a lot. Wrong yeah. food. Mother yeah. burst in saying, You think you can sleep with whoever you want? <laughs> yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, shall we move on to Brie? Cheese yes. lady. Cheese lady and her children. So I'm finding it really interesting that even the kids have had enough of her shit, but this um, is a monumental episode and I'm going to tell you for why. I love Brie. Wow. I... Yeah. It's taken four episodes, but your opinion has completely changed. Uh-huh. This is a story all about how my opinion got flipped and turned upside down. I love her. To be fair, after the scene towards the end of the episode, which I'm not going to go into now, but... 
because there's a lot to unpack before we get there. Sure. I am not surprised to hear you say that because that is probably one of my favourite scenes in this show ever. And it's one that will always stick with me and it's absolutely fucking brilliant and hilarious. See, I'm just, sorry, I'm just in shock. I knew I'd win their ground, but I didn't think it would be yet. Yeah. Yeah. I actually reckoned we would be about 10 episodes time. Yeah. Maybe a bit more than that. I'm unexpected, peculiar and quite amazing. (laughs) I'm just astounded. I'm so happy. Let's start at the beginning with Andrew and Danielle discussing, you know, that their parents arguing. And they're like, it, it's like, it's divorce court bad. They're, they're going to get divorced. Dad's moved out. He's, it's horrible. And mum's clearly, you know, worried because she's overcompensating, which, I mean, we've already had that confirmed by Dr. Goldfine that that's essentially what she does. She mm-hmm. hides behind housework. And um, it's just kind of interesting seeing her really sort of play it out and seeing that even her kids can see that. So it's like, yeah, it's it's serious, but uh, and then Andrew just becomes a irritating little shit. <laughs> yeah, and uh, back to what you're saying, like three seconds ago, mm-hmm. it's interesting that they were then kind of unnerved. I think was she setting the table? Yeah, yeah, by her like humming while setting the table because that isn't a sign of happiness, which it would be in literally anybody else. It's yeah. like yeah. again her like overcompensating her being stressed and needing to be like everything's fine yeah it's like horror movie levels of unsettling yeah i mean brie gives me those kind of vibes like when she like walks into a room with like a basket of baked goods and gives her that like that creepy smile i'm like this it's like the creepy people and get out Yeah. yeah and obviously you know she then lies about where rex is and which andrew is a little shit yeah however i will say with all knowing knowledge I love Andrew Vanderkamp. Okay. Well, the thing is, is like throughout the episode, and I think by the scene in his bedroom in the end, Mm. it's quite clear that he's mostly just looking for someone to blame because he's kind of dealing with his own angst. Yeah. Yeah. And I think his mum was the easiest one to pin the blame on. Yeah. Yeah. And what I was about to say was that it's very interesting as well how he knows, obviously that obviously she calls him out for lying about where he was, but he's smart enough, enough of a twat, enough <laughs> to turn around and go, well, all right, where's dad then? Yeah. Yeah. Like, And she's like, that's not the point. And he's like, I'm sorry, I thought the point was about lying. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that he knows that he can use it against it. Unfortunately, he knows where to hit her. Mm. Sure. Like where her weaknesses are. I think when he throws in the whole, I called dad, uh, I'm just like, Rex, buddy, don't don't just try and turn your children against it. I get that, you know, you want to be honest with them, but as far as I can tell, I, I do think parenting-wise, Bree's doing more of the right thing than what Rex is doing. He Rex is clearly just throwing a tantrum. He's like, oh yeah, your mother's kicked me out, or I've, I've left because she's being a, a twat. And mm. it's, Bree's just like, no, I don't want to worry the children. We need to deal with it ourselves yeah yeah that does seem like the more more mature response yeah Mm. yeah i know the main focus of this episode in terms of Bree's kids was more andrew but um with the daughter as well i did kind of think i mean i remember saying a couple of episodes ago that uh the kids are older than i thought they were she looks older to me this episode (laughs) she looked about 35 yeah she did did. the bangs didn't help listen they never do but (laughs) i was thinking 
about one of the things that I thought I knew to be true about Desperate Housewives before I started watching it. Mm. Which is that at some point, I'm pretty sure, one of like the teenage daughters has a baby and the mum raises it. Mm-hmm. I'm getting less and less convinced that this actually happens. But okay. <laughs> in terms of age, it either has to be uh, not Andrew or Julian. Danielle. Thank or, you. Yeah, Danielle and Julie. But it seems more likely to be Danielle because of like rebelling against her mum and her mum's expectations. Mm. But mm. in terms of the mum turning around and going, I will raise this baby, I see Susan doing it more than I do Brie. Okay, mm. that is interesting. And, you know, just to throw it out there, like I said last week, who's to say it's either of those two? Who's to say it's not somebody that's not arrived yet? Fair. Interesting. We do we do meet a lot of very interesting and quirky characters along the way. We get new people each season. We do. Okay. Uh, but the the main four stay the same and they stay in it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, but we get new people each season to the point that you may need a Mike Delfino-style map of who's who in your cupboard. <laughs> this is why it's so important that we're watching this for the podcast and I have notes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because otherwise I'd be like, male actor white boy face blindness like when carlos knocked on the door to go beat up the gay guy he answered the door and i've just put a note down that says who's this injured git (laughs) (laughs) and then it became clear that that's the cable guy Um, yeah i'm still learning that's okay and we are here to support you through your learning journey and i'm sure that there are people along the line that mitch will probably forget who they are or doesn't remember them turning up and i'll have to be like that's so and so oh absolutely very valid um, another thing about me kind of getting to grips with the characters is um, Martha, when talking to Susan, referred to like people of their age, like she mm. said, our age. And I was very much under the impression that Mrs. Martha is o- older than most of the... I know, I know the gals are like different ages, mm. but I was kind of under the impression that she was a lot older. <laughs> yeah, but do you know what? So am I. I kind of get the feeling that Martha's trying to, A, imply that she is younger than she really is and insult Susan by saying that she's older than she really is. I think it's trying okay. to sort of... Oh, like a little dig, like, yeah. you've um, just insulted me. But also made her look better because she's like, oh yeah, I'm younger than, than that, I but see. you're you're old, you're an old lady, but I'm young, even though yeah. it's saying they're the same age. Right, because then I was kind of looking at her face trying to be like, well, do... You actually look older? Are you actually older? Or have I just gone kind of gone with your vibe and the kind of character you are and in my head gone, okay, you're older. But then I was kind of looking at it, I was like, well, do you look that much older than Susan? And then I got really distracted by trying to figure out how old Martha's supposed to be. No. <laughs> um, I cannot help there, unfortunately. I think it's safe to say that everything Martha says is just a dig. Yeah. I would put her in her fifties, maybe early sixties. I'd say 60s early sixties. If she gives me early 60s vibes, but looking mm. at her, I wouldn't say she's that old. Not that that's old, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Right, let's loop back round. Uh, back to Brie. Can we please talk about the boss-ass way that she kicks down Andrew's door? I might have been making a note at that time. I didn't pause as I was making notes like I normally did, so I might have missed that. Oh. So it's when she asks Danielle to ring Andrew. And Andrew knows that it's her. And then she rips the keep out sign off of his door. And then she just kicks the door in. And then obviously looks through his stuff. Yeah. 
this was when I was like, Brie, I like you. Because she knew what she was going to do. She had a plan. She knew what she had to do. And then just straight up, like, walked in and did it. And I was like, not a parenting style that I would personally subscribe to. But I, I love this for you. Yeah. I love this for you. Like, I don't know. Brie kind of won me over then, I think. That was kind mm. of the Aww. moment. Yeah. That was the moment that we fell in love. The Meg Brie origin story. <laughs> Marie, if you will. Bregan. 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 Love it. Bregan. I like that one. Her hair's so shiny. It is, and it doesn't move. It doesn't move. Love the colour. Um, and then obviously we're in the strip club, which I believe is one of your favourite scenes. This and is got, my favourite scene got, in this episode. Oh, I things. bet it is. I've got, oh, I've got two things written, about, written down about this scene. One, I know it's a TV show, but why did they move like that? Yeah. Like, I know that you can't be overtly sexual and, like, how a stripper would actually be dancing, but why did they move like somebody was, like, herding cattle? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then my other one was, oh, damn, Brie, we're really going down the that's someone's daughter route. Yeah, yeah. that wasn't... The the thing that I was like vibing with, and I just, literally just had a note that said, "Bree, some people just want to dance." Yeah, some people, some people just got bills to pay. Yeah, yeah. And she was like, "These girls have probably been molested. How does that make you feel?" And I'm like, "That makes me feel like I should mind my own business and let sex work just be work." But thanks. <laughs> that makes me feel like we just shouldn't ask questions. Just respect other human beings. Yeah. Especially because from that far away, she'd have been able to hear her. Yeah. And I found that really interesting that she was saying, oh, she's just parading around like she's a piece of meat, like she's not a person. And I'm like, yeah, but you're talking about her like she's not a person. Yeah. Yeah, also, stop projecting, Brie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, all right, calm yourself. You, you can dance if you want to. You can leave your friends behind. And if they don't dance... Then they're no friends of mine. Yeah. Thank you. Like, just loosen up, Brie. Yeah. But yeah. also, how old is um, Sun supposed to be, please? Andy Rue, um, mm. about 16. Okay. So he technically shouldn't have been in there. <laughs> I'm assuming that narrative-wise, he and his pals were there because we're supposed to believe how, like, sleazy and, like, not properly run this place is. Like, yeah. oh, you let kids yeah. in sort of thing. Um, but also, when Brie was like, oh, and whatever your name is, that lovely solo you sang in church. And I was like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh! Like, you are a church-going boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You should yeah. only have eyes for Jesus. Yeah. Only only have eyes for Jesus. And that man that was just like, kid, she is brewing the vibe for everybody. Get her out, please. Yeah. I'm just looking at this note that I wrote down. It says, Bree's brutal. Kind of love her. Yeah. Aww. I love how she does. She just sounds like, can I have a glass of your house Chardonnay, please? And it's like, just... Well, if you ain't leaving, I'm staying. Yeah. It's absolutely yeah. fucking brilliant. It's wonderful. Everything about that scene is great. And it's almost like she just tries to call Andrew out on his bluff. And it's like they're playing this weird game of chicken with each other. Who's yeah. going to cave first? I was yeah. about to say strip chicken. But that sounds like a whole other kind of incident. And also kind of like chicken strips. That sounds delicious. Yeah. And then I suppose what other bits have we kind of got in the background? So we've kind of got the women telling Paul about the note. Yes. Oh, right. And his hilarious crying. Uh... Yeah, he was a little bit like that crying man. <laughs> May he rest in peace. <laughs> and then, um, what did you think of the little story that he told Lynette and Gabby about her sending the notes to herself? Oh my god. So, my first... I, I, I put, leave herself notes. 
fuck off. It was all Paul. And then when they were like, oh, yeah, we'll keep it to ourselves. I was then like, and by keep it to yourselves, you mean tell the other gals, right? Um, <laughs> and then it was just the fact that they were like, oh, wow. I think he's lying. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, thank God. That's because it's like every time when he's like, she'd start by leaving herself notes like Zach has a doctor's appointment. And you're like, Paul, we all do that. If it's not written down, I ain't remembering it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it was just so relieved that they were like, no. Heart. <laughs> just, just no. How how did he think that sounds even remotely believable? Like how, how I, I get, you know, I was trying to go on the whole, she slowly went crazy and all that. But like, how 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 do you not notice? Uh, pick up the milk to uh, I'm gonna oh, you're gonna fucking die, mate. How did how yeah. does she go from that? I think yeah. he's probably playing on the whole. She's dead. Yeah. They can't ask her. Sure, she's not here to defend herself. And that if I just make it sound like she went crazy, mm. they'll stop digging. They'll yeah. stop asking questions. Um, yeah, and she's not here to defend herself. They don't know any better. Mm. So I think that he thinks they'll just drop it mm. and mm. leave it, and I think he's heavily underestimated them. Yeah, and Agreed. what they're gonna do. Yeah. Obviously, at the end, when you've got Gabby and Lynette telling the others about what Paul said, and then we'll, and I think to start with, Bree's kind of like, well, maybe that did happen, and then by the end of it, she's like, ah, no, it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. And then obviously that he's hired somebody to find out who sent it. And Mary yeah. Alice's narration of an enemy, stranger, or a neighbour who lives a few feet away. Right. So, I feel like at this point, I'm supposed to believe it was Martha. Okay. Okay. Dear reader, I do not believe that. Ooh. Oh, okay. Um, but when it was zooming out and being like, oh, lives just around the corner, was that still his house? Because whose house was that? Was that, was that? was that her house? I think it was supposed to show the house yeah. of who it is. But we but we don't know this house. No. Okay, right. Because, yeah, interesting. Um, is this how it's going to be like revealed, is that I'm supposed to remember what this house looks like? Because that's the, how they're going to do it, because that's going to mean nothing to me. No. Okay, cool. But yeah, I think at this point I'm supposed to think it was Martha, and I simply do not. Mm. Okay. Yeah, no, the way you find out is pretty great. Mm. Okay, interesting. I also maybe think I'm kind of supposed to suspect Edie at the minute, and I just don't. I think that they're trying to paint Edie in a way that's supposed to make me not like her, and then she'll do like a bit of a flip, and then we'll go, oh no, Edie was nice all along. She was just misrepresented by herself or whatever. So I feel like that's going to happen, and Edie is really like not that bad or whatever. But also that absolute look she was serving with the matching like skirt and coat combo. Mm hmm. Lover. That's a look. That was like Cher from Clueless vibes. It was stunning. I am going to say I find it really hard to appreciate things about Edie. Yeah. Because I don't like her. And interestingly enough, like I've said before, like my favourites change who I like the most out of each season. Mm. Never Edie. No, never Edie. Oh, so she, she sticks around. She not even make the list. So she sticks around for a bit. Thank you. Maybe. But yeah, I think I'm supposed to like really suspect Martha and Edie. Mm. Mm. Um, I suspect Martha as being an absolute cow, but I don't. <laughs> think she, she, I don't think she sent the note. Okay. Can I ask what makes you think that you're supposed to be suspecting the two of them? Um, especially in this episode with the like running themes, 
and like mm. what the like over like arching narrative was like we're seeing martha be sneaky manipulative and sly mm. while also dealing with who sent the note let's tell paul about the note paul no no paul paul no no paul and with those two things running along the same sort of lines i think subconsciously they're hoping i go well martha's sneaky and manipulative and evil it must have been her and I'm oh okay seen i too I much see, tv yeah. I see, I, I didn't think it was as deep as that, how they're trying to sort of paint it out. I think that, I think they're just trying to paint the two of them out as just antagonists. Like, yes, you are supposed to hate these people. They are not good people. We do not like them. Like, I feel like that's just how they're just trying to set them up. <gasps> Maybe it was the sun. Sorry. I just have a thought. Maybe it was the sun. The sun? Oh, Zach. Zach. That sent the note. Maybe. Mm. We haven't seen him for a while. No. That was a lot. That was like a live realization theory for you, my good friends. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe it was him. Yeah, I mean, I see both of your points of view though. Mm. That I hadn't actually ever looked at it from the way that Meg did, but as soon as she started saying it, it made sense. Yeah. Thank that, you. Yeah, I also see from your point of view though that also from the angle of I assume in the suburbs, not everybody gets on. There's always that one neighbor or maybe two that you're like, oh my god, I wish they would just move. Yeah, mm. and I feel like Edie and Martha are supposed to be those two. Okay, yeah. Just like, oh my god, will you just go somewhere else, yeah. please? That isn't near me. Mm. Stop bothering me. And I don't even think it's for. I mean, Martha obviously is a manipulative shrew, but um, <laughs> with Edie, I think at this point, even it's just a sense of your existence bothers me. Mm. And I don't think they've got a real particular reason for it. It's just that we don't want you here, but I couldn't tell you why. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just feel like running a show-wise, if you're going to have, whether it's a mystery as like that's the genre, or there's a mystery in the show, I feel like it is then your job as the writer to kind of plant seeds of who you think. Like, so that the audience member is trying to like solve the mystery before it's mm. revealed, because that's just kind of how it, work so i'm kind of thinking if they're not trying to paint those two as the two that i'm supposed supposed to be suspecting who am i supposed to be suspecting as the person that sent these notes because i've ruled out the main four it's not them (laughs) it's not them what a plot Uh, twist that would be though that would be plot twist it was susan all along yeah susan's actually like really really evil yeah plot twist it was yowlin <laughs> but maybe it's also something to do with Mike because he's supposed to be suspicious, but he's not. I just love him. Maybe narrative-wise, he's supposed to be the person that I'm suspecting because we've seen shady things about him that I just don't subscribe to. Because I, if I don't look at it, I don't see it, so I don't have to acknowledge mm. it. Yeah, and I see that, and you know, and how it could be him in that, like you see how it could be Martha because of her scheming i kind of see how it could potentially be Edie. yeah i do kind of see that but also in the aspect of it could be mike because mm. he moved in mary alice received her note bang bang by mary alice we don't know what he knows we don't know a lot about him we don't it would also be kind of interesting to see if they knew what kind of mental state mary alice was in and it was the intention to push her over the edge Ooh. or or if this person sat at home going, this isn't what I wanted, I'm rocking in my corner, oh my god, what did I do? Yeah. I don't think it's, it, you know, it could be either, it'd be interesting to see if it was a case of, I knew what this would do. Yeah. But your your reactions intrigue me. What do you mean? 
that seemed to be a spicy thing because you're like ooh mm. so i'm could be anyone oh it was the dog you leave Bongo. Bongo out of this. He just wanted some gravy and he swallowed jewellery instead. We've all been there, buddy. Swallowed jewellery? <laughs> <laughs> Jewel. Did you just say we've all been there? What? No. <laughs> Happens to the best of us, Bongo. <laughs> we've all been there, buddy. We've all been there. Okay, so all in all, what were your general thoughts of this episode? It was a good episode. I thought it was really funny. I thought Gabby was great in it. Mm. She was serving some absolute looks, as was Edie. The, the, the thought plickens. The and thought does it, plicken. Mm, and I haven't yet gotten to the point where I'm like, get to the fucking point. Which can happen a lot with shows like this. You can kind mm. of have a lot of filler. But I feel mm. like in each episode, we're getting somewhere. Even though... Like, things have been dropped. It's very clear they'll be picked back up later when they're more relevant, i.e. chest of dead bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And Can you buy those of... on uh, eBay? Yes, yeah, yeah. Buy them, get them free. But it's like... We're planting little seedies and then we're going to have a beautiful forest. We are. Yes. And it is beautiful. It is beautiful. Think big, tall trees... Nice long green grass, flowers everywhere, birds singing, deers and, prancing. And a scarecrow. No scarecrow. Oh, then why bother? Sorry. Boo. But it's beautiful. Yes. And on that note, would you mm. like to hear the synopsis for next time? Yes, please. So we're series one, episode five, and the episode is called Come In Stranger. The synopsis is... A break-in on Wisteria Lane leaves the neighbours feeling vulnerable. Susan reluctantly accepts a date with a police officer after Mike Delfino appears uninterested in her. This is the bit that's going to drag on for me. The whole will-they-won't-they thing. They will, it's fine. Mm. But this is going to drag on for me. The back and forth of, oh, you don't like me, oh, but I like you, oh, but Edie's in the way. This is going to really piss on my tits because they have chemistry and I like them together and because I want them to be together it's going to annoy me that they aren't but why can't it instead be ooh a break in has Susan see the opportunity to go oh Mr Delfino I'm a vulnerable single woman you should come sleep on my sofa for uh, ever and I'm going to love you and you should move in for a bit and bring your dog because I feel safer with you (coughs) and Bongo around why can't it be that? So, aside from Muzen, Meg, yeah, yeah. based on the synopsis, what are your kind of thoughts, feelings, predictions? I think there's always a little something-something in, like, the plot convenience thing that gets thrown in to, like, shake things up a bit. Like, the like this it was a break-in, like a burglary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like that's going to do something. But I also think it might be a bit more exciting then oh burglary happens no 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 i think well i suppose it depends who it is what it is but also the fact that crime happening in the suburbs <gasps> so you know yeah i don't know mm. I, I don't i don't know what um the future holds but i do look forward to finding out although i don't look forward to this back and forth with Muzin. <laughs>
thank you for listening to Watched It, Missed It, Skipped It. We'll be back next Thursday with episode 5. In the meantime, you can find us at Watched It, Missed It, Skipped It on Instagram or We're Missy Podcast on Twitter. That's W-I-M-I-S-I Podcast. And you can email us at watcheditmisseditskipped at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed what you've heard so far, then please give us a like, rate, and subscribe. And don't forget to tell your friends, auntie, uncle, man, sisters, dogs, nephew. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 Bye.